Hello, and welcome to Scuttlebutt, the war movie review podcast. We're happy to have you with us as we take a look at films from the dawn of cinema to today. We aim to provide a raw and unapologetic review of each film's cinematography, historical accuracy, and delivery. In the process of analysis, certain details will be revealed. These spoilers are only divulged to ensure a fair assessment of each film. We head back to the Roman Republic this week with Stanley Kubrick's 1960 third servile war film, Spartacus. Friend of the channel, Sean, joins me this week as we try to unravel this epic. Nate, Mike B, and Mike A will be with us next week. They're currently on vacation. So anyway, Sean, what'd you think? So tell me, Johnny, do you like films about gladiators? I do. Have you ever seen, a, <laughs> ever seen the inside of a Turkish prison? Have ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's uh... never been to a public gym. Um, <laughs> boy, when uh, when you start your uh, film and it has an overture, y- you know you're in for a lot all. You just batten down the hatches and get ready for three three hours and fifteen minutes. Well, I will say this though: not even just an overture, but an overture that's silent or with no image. Yeah, so that's like, right. Just a building, building, and an building. intermission. Yeah, yeah, I know, right? Well. Well, it's funny, the intermissions that you have in these films now are cut. Like originally, you know, they would be super long, like I think 20 or 15 minutes, because it all dates back to theaters, you know, or theaters mm-hmm. today. You have a break between acts and stuff and, you know, flash the lights and shit. But yeah, it's it's funny when I see the intermissions in these films and they're like five minutes, because it's like, yeah, that's, that's a fraction of the time. Like this movie is so much fucking longer originally. <laughs> yeah. So so what makes what makes this an epic, if you... Uh... You don't mind me asking. What makes this an epic? Well, epics were like a, a version of Hollywood movies that were made right at the tail end of the Second World War until about the mid-60s, where they're these movies that are super huge productions, they're really expensive, and they're not like made for money-wise. I mean, yes, they are to make money, but they're more made for like altruistic reasons. So, for example, Ben-Hur, which we'll bring up in a little bit later, uh, is an epic um lawrence of arabia which we will get to soon on this channel is an epic dr Zhivago is an epic you know um what's the one with charlton heston with moses parting the sea um exodus exit the one you're talking about oh exodus is the exodus the one or something exodus is the one about israel which is later on but i know what you mean um because exodus has paul newman in it that's about the state of israel but whichever one it is i'll have to look it up charlton it's, called, it's called planet of the apes right Oh, well, ah, I see. That's not an epic, but to me, that's an epic. <laughs> and to a mutual friend of ours, it's definitely an epic. But mm. um, yeah, so that's really what epics were. They were just these huge fucking mega projects that just cost a ton of money. And again, they weren't, they were, they were made to like kind of tell a certain period of history, usually ancient or medieval or like, you know, at a lot of times in the 50s, biblical times. Um, or in this case, which is interesting, it's pre Christianity. So you don't get a lot of that ethos. Yeah, you know, they really, uh, they really plaster that on the the tyranny of pagan rope. Pagan tyranny is what the, the exact line. I wrote it down. I was like, huh? <laughs> um, pa- pagan tyranny, um, as if slavery was some sort of manifestation that only existed with pagan culture. Oh, it went away when cultures. Christianity was adopted. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, when uh, that was somehow unique to pagan Rome and the Roman Republic. Like, <laughs> ooh. They get some bold moves with that one, but uh, yeah, I, I put this on par with like Gone with the Wind and the kind of pace in mm. 
yep. soundtrack style. That I put it right up there with that movie. I know that's oh god, thirty nine. That's early. Yep, Gone that's thirty nine. Thirty nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is this very much feels like Gone with the Wind to me. Oh yeah, no, completely. This film and that film are definitely of the same genre. Even Napoleon, that's an epic. You know, um, there's just so many things that epic can be, but it's this big, grandiose, fucking, in a lot of ways, slow moving film and slow moving shots. You know, it's the, the really the products of that, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s era. You don't get, there's really no like modern epics you could say. Like some people would argue, I guess, that, um, oh, I'm going to fuck it up. What's the, uh, Mel Gibson movie about Christ, Passion of the Christ. Passion of like the that's Christ. an epic in a way, but more pretty far. For... I would say two. Yeah, but um, mm, but small. they're not yeah. big enough. But they're not big. Like I don't know. It, Oppenheimer, I could technically call an epic because of the way it was presented and built up, and what it tells and the story it shows. You know, it's just massive thing. So yeah, actually. I would I would classify Oppenheimer as an epic in a way, um, but that's an epic. <laughs> yeah, at least in my definition, you know, of what a film is, and uh, the worm or the that the word is used, you know, sparingly with a lot of other stuff. I know I call a lot of things on this channel epics when they're movies or whatever, but it's just another way to describe things. But this one is really an epic, you know. Yeah, oh, I I agree. It's an but, epic that um, takes a lot of liberty. A lot of liberties. <laughs> well, you know, it was interesting because you have to look at this again, contextualize it. It was a movie made about Rome in the late fifties and everything that every year that there's digs in the world, we add to the collective knowledge of, you know, what we know about the past. And so much has been found since the late fifties, you know, to now to really this establish is, um... our idea of Roman um, this is also based off a book um, that was written by a guy that was held in uh, contempt of Congress in the 50s during the McCarthy era because he was a communist uh, member. Oh, well, yeah. So it was written by Donald Trumbo. And Donald Trumbo, or if you've never seen it, it's a movie called Trumbo, which is about Donald Trumbo. Um, Brian Crankston is the lead. He plays hmm. Trumbo. Really, really, really good, really, really good movie. I highly suggest it. Um, but I did some research after I watched this yesterday. And it turns out the Trumbo actually didn't get the story because they actually show Kirk Douglas and Spartacus being made in the movie Trumbo. It's pretty cool. They have a whole scene they go hmm. to the set and they talk about Kubrick and stuff, but they don't get it really right. But long story short, yeah, Trumbo was this very famous um, screenwriter in the 30s and the 40s, and he actually was a war correspondent. He was on Okinawa in 1945. Really? And yeah, and he joined the party because he sympathized with workers' rights, which a lot of people did in the 30s and the 40s. Not the idea of, you know, world politic or communism as a whole, but the idea that workers' rights matter. That's why a lot of people did it. And he was called um, to a hearing at Congress in 47 for the Un-American Activities Act. And he basically, you know, pleaded the fifth and he was blacklisted for that. And he had a very hard time making money like a lot of the other blacklisted, you know, artists. So what he actually ended up doing was he wrote shit movies. He wrote like B and C movies and he would sell his scripts to people that would buy them. And there was this one guy who was like a very, very shitty movie maker. Like, you know, they made CB films like matinees, you know, shoot them up. 
horror. Hmm. It was all like crime noir stuff, right? Uh-huh. And they were buying all the scripts. And they were paying like $100 a script when beforehand he was getting, you know, thousands. Uh, and at one point, they even tried to shut that place down. And hmm. uh, the guy who played, who Brian Goodman plays that guy in the movie Trumbo perfectly. And he basically goes, all I give a shit about making money and fucking women. And I'm out of fucking money. <laughs> Like, basically, it's just, you know, there was a point in the 50s where people didn't give a shit. It's like, oh, who cares, you know? And Kirk Douglas was very instrumental in actually getting Trumbo's name listed on the film as a whole. Really? Because hmm. he, he fought for that. It was, you know, and this is, this film, when it was released, marked the beginning of the end of McCarthyism and the blacklist and that kind of all that bullshit from the 50s. Um, it, a lot of people were pissed. And the reaction of the film, because it was so good, they're like, who cares if he's a communist? That's good. Like, even JFK went and saw it, and there were hecklers that were yelling at people not to see the movie because it was written by a communist. And JFK came out of the film, and he was just like, you should see it. It's good. And then everyone was like, oh, really? <laughs> and, like, so it just changed the idea but by having him there. Yeah. So, so, yeah. You can tell he's got, a, he's got an axe to grind with uh, the establishment, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it's, uh, boy, does it come through. <laughs> It's, it's very interesting, you know, um, but to take it back a little bit further. So this is in my research, I found out something really funny. You know, all these superstars, at least back in the day, we look at them through rose colored glasses. And until you do your real research, I mean, there were a lot of them that were really good people. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, it's Hollywood. So you get some mm-hmm. shit bags. And the more I looked into this, the more I found out that this film has a very interesting reason it was made. And basically it's because. Charlton Heston was cast as the lead in Ben-Hur and Kirk Douglas was not. And Kirk Hmm. Douglas was fucking pissed. He wanted his role. He wanted to be in an epic. He wanted to be in an ancient film. And that was taken away from him. So what does he do? He makes his own. He he was the executive producer. I remember seeing that. He makes his own fucking movie. (laughs) So he, he, you know, he's like, let's make it about something else from that time. No Christianity. So Spartacus predates everything. Slave Revolt, Sign of the Times, McCarthyism, get a guy to write it, bam. So that's why they fucking, well, that's why he went down this path. It's because I didn't get cast in Ben-Hur, and I'm mad. Eh. <laughs> it's, it's just I, I made a good film. Toy. I mean, I, well, it's, you, uh, yeah. Yeah. And Kubrick got brought in because they had an original director, and, and things were very tight. They had spent like two years writing the script, and they didn't want any deviation from the script. Like, they were like, no line, what was ever was written had to be said. And the first director they hired was a famous guy. And he was there for a week and he had so many clashes with Kirk Douglas that he just said, fuck this and left. And Kirk Douglas had worked with um, Stanley Kubrick on Paths of Glory a year earlier. And the reason that they had actually come to meeting was in 1955, Kubrick made a film called The Killing, which is a really good crime noir movie from the 50s about these guys that rip off a racetrack. Hmm. It's really, really good. If, if people are just hearing this for the first time and they like crime noir films, please check it out. You're like Kubrick. It's it's the one of the films that really sets up his eye or his career for the next 40 years. It's like things that he does in that film, he'll do again, but better in like 2001 or The Shining. Yeah, you could, you could so, if you just took the director's name out, I would not guess this is Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Who made this film? Well, that's the... That's the funny thing, yeah. So fast forward, he makes The Killers. or um, The Killing. Yeah, The Killing. And it's not that good of a box office success because they like release it in the middle of January. 
which is a great time to go see a fucking movie for it's half the, the country. Uh, the dumping ground for all the it, yeah, right. Movies. The first first three months of the year, and it was a double feature too, so it really didn't. But it was so well done. It you know got around Hollywood and into these small circles, and basically it got to Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas at the time wanted to make a war movie, and he ended up getting in touch with Kubrick. And long story short, Kubrick had his first movie he made was a not well done war movie called Fear and Desire, which is like a sci fi movie about these soldiers that are stuck behind enemy lines. And it's funny, like they wanted to do completely unknown things. So they're like, they're wearing German helmets with USMC helmet covers with P44 uh, USMC, um, what do you call it, camouflage with like jack boots, American belts, and German webbing. And then like the enemy is like, another crazy conglomerate oh and they all are armed with uh g88 mausers <laughs> so it's like it's crazy you know again they just wanted to be out there and just you know show a, a conflict through a lens that doesn't exist and then long story short he ended up with kirk douglas and he wanted to make another war movie because he wanted to you know do a better one he wanted to come back to the genre and when kubrick was 14 he read a book called paths of glory and that stuck with him and he optioned the rights and yeah he made that film and then it was a good success. And he proved to a lot of people that what, he could what pull off favorites? a big film. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Well, it was cool. I watched this one review about it, and they were talking about how Kubrick did it and stuff. And basically they were like, you know, he was trying to show that it wasn't the military that was at fault. It was that technology had changed so much and that warfare was different, that the military aristocracy had not adapted to the times. They were thinking of more of a war from the 1890s, 80s, and 70s perspective you know, than the murder in the trenches. And after hearing that and looking at the film, I see that. And Kubrick also apparently had this thing, and I do see it now in all his films. He loved how humans interacted with technology. And thinking about HAL 9000 or, y yeah. you know, even a lot of the other things, like, I, I do see that, you know, especially with uh, Dr. Strangelove. You know? So it's, <laughs> it's interesting how he's able to, like, you know, mend those things together. So, you know, Paths of Glory is like technology has surpassed this aristocratic structure of the honor of, of aristocracy. A, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like the aristocracy is trying to find its own way in the now, but the times have changed. So that's, I don't know, it's a very interesting viewpoint in the yeah. film. A movie's had something um, for everybody. Definitely check it out. Check out, watch Paths of Glory if you haven't. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking great. Seen it. So he, he proved he could do a big film. And Kirk Douglas needed a director, so he hired Kubrick. But this is where your comment comes into effect because he was reined in on everything except for some of the battle scenes. And, you know, Douglas, this is Douglas's film. This was his movie that he wanted to make to get back at William Wyler for not casting it. So Douglas had a vision of what this was going to be. And, you know, Kubrick has his vision of what it should have been. And apparently the whole time they were on set, they were fighting. And that the only thing that kept them going was that they both had a deep mutual respect for each other and their craft. Um, but other than that, it would just be like matches and yelling all the time. And Kubrick was only really able to influence some of the shots, like dolly shots and things like that. And then the battle sequences, which you have seen Barry Lyndon. Uh, yes, I've seen. I've seen that battle scene. I have not seen the whole movie all the way through. When I, know, when I saw... So Barry Lyndon is a great 1970s Kubrick film about this Irish guy who has to leave home 
and become a spy and it's it's very 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 well done and beautifully mm-hmm. shot and just amazing but there's a battle sequence during the um what is it 100 years war and uh, uh that's, i think that's the seven years war oh the seven years war. 100 years war is the medieval ages but Ah, yes, so definitely the seven years war. <laughs> but there's this this little firefight. The, the narration is so great. And it actually was the last time that Kubrick ever shot any, you know, um, fighting sequences. And it was like there was a French rearguard unit defending a field. And when the British arrived, they uh, entered into a engagement that no one would ever remember or record. <laughs> and it's this really short, bloody thing. But it literally, the second I saw the, the battle in this, I was like, oh, shit, that's – he does this again – 20 years but a it's, little better that, that battle seems everything. very yeah it's 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 cool to see because it's all those the amount of extras that are there that it's it's that grand style that you just don't fucking see anymore well that's that's the epic you know it's yeah. like that's why we've talked about this personally before we'll get to this on the podcast eventually the film napoleon but napoleon is amazing because it's all real it's helicopters shooting real oh, people and real um, horses waterloo a oh, Waterloo shit. Waterloo. Yeah. <laughs> I was oh, talking well, about the one that hasn't come out yet. No, no, no. Yeah, Waterloo yeah. Is, is fucking yeah, awesome. That's what I've been talking about for the last yeah, 20 minutes. But it's, so. that, it's that amount of extras. Like, Yeah, it's it's a huge production. It's like uh, War and Peace. You know, the, the original yeah. Russian film. Oh, Jesus Christ. But yeah, another epic. Yeah, well, block that's, off that's 16 hours, or I think it's like 8 hours or something like that. 16 days. Fuck. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, totally lost of train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, it's almost the last of its kind. It feels. Yeah, you know, it really was, you know, and it's funny. This was only the second movie that Kubrick had shot in color. Hmm. He couldn't afford color film when he was shooting his own movies, and black and white's cheaper. And because he was a photographer, he could maximize the most he needed to get out of the lighting scheme. For black and white so he could make a film on black and white that anybody else could make would look cheap but he could make it look professional because he had the eye because he was a, prof- a professional photographer um so it's crazy to think that this film is his second one shot in color and his first real feature shot in color and it's like he came from black and white to this and it still looks this good like sorry what's what's the first one because my i i'm what's the first, the first one, shot one? In color? yeah i should say i <laughs> Kubrick films are out of water here. Be ready to laugh. Oh, it's an industrial geez. film called called The Seafarers. And it's a he couldn't make any money after he after he shot Fear and Desire, he had to make money doing other things. So he shot three infomercials. No, sorry. He shot three um like little, you know, industrial style films or like news network films. One was called The Day of the Fight, which is about two prize fighters going at it in the city. And it like woke up with the guys in their bed and showed how they prepared for the fight and they went to do it. And that ended up on uh, March of Time, which was a very famous uh, news program they used to play before movies back in the day. And hmm. then he shot one called The Flying Preacher or The Flying Padre, which is about a padre that he had a parish so big he had to fly everywhere to tend to his, his stock. So it's, it's very interesting. Um, and then the last one was called The Seafarers, which he was paid by this um, – union the seafarer union of the guys like merchant marines and stuff to make a, a video about how you know what they do and, and everything and it's interesting but that film was shot in 35 millimeter color and it was the first time he ever used color film and the whole thing is overexposed and overshot <laughs> <laughs> so he definitely 
you know, was out of his water, but he made a very interesting product. And then after that, he ends up going and making Paths of Glory. And then Spartacus comes along. So in reality, this is his first big project in color. And it's yeah. fucking, and it's, I think it's a $15 million uh, epic in 1960, which is like easily over $100 million today. Yeah. So, Monumental. Like, yeah. And the actors are, I think it's very well cast. Um, I, I, Kirk Douglas, I really like Kirk Douglas. I always just see him as like Colonel, Colonel Drax in, uh, from Pass of Glory. I, I, I like him. I don't, I don't know. I, I just struggle with this 1960. I don't know who else would have played, uh, Spartacus. We don't even know what he looked like, but I, yeah, right. I, I always see just Kirk Douglas <laughs> and, and his mannerisms, but he's very good. Well, expanding it out from there, I mean, it's funny how they cast the Romans as Brits and everyone else as American. And it's very, you know, 1960s Hollywood. But in a way, it works because, you know, Europeans, British to be, you know, in the English speaking world, at least, are more akin to how Romans and then with their, you know, what's the word I'm trying to find here? Just the way their culture is formed and the just i don't know they have more of a bearing on to ancient rome than the americans do so i kind of like that structure that they built within it you know like a down cultural like a, a not the real cultural lines but a cultural you know to, mm-hmm. to have a, a difference and the british actors they hired were all very famous thespian actors um you know they were all actual actors and they did a lot of of this ancient greek acting and stuff in, in london mm-hmm. things and um the guy that plays crassus gets on set and he starts to read his lines and he goes, I'm not saying that. And Kirk Douglas is like, no, you know, that's, he's like, that's fucking dull as shit. I'm not fucking doing that. And they're like, what? (laughs) So they had to like, they had all this time and effort, like, you know, getting ready to, to do the lines and all this shit. And then all of a sudden, no, fuck you. I'm not doing that. Like, (laughs) and basically, you know, it's funny for me because I love the movie Trumbo. Like I was mentioning earlier. And they do, they have that cool scene where they talk about Spartacus and, and the way that they show it, they, they kind of show Kirk Douglas, like, you know, not believing in, um, what do you call it? Uh, Kubrick and being like, Oh, I don't know. This is going to go. And then they make Trumbo like this amazing guy who had everything right. And the, the language was great and stuff. And it's like, yeah, well, really, really Trump. I can't yeah. believe the biopic about him would, would Trump him up. Uh, that's well, yeah. <laughs> it's still, still a very good movie, but it was, it was just funny to be like, Oh, so the third of the dialogue was fucking horrible shit. So they had to cut it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and like one guy just ended up like writing his lines at night without telling anyone. Um, that's the guy that actually won the Oscar. And there was this funny. So the thespians were all, you know, they respected each other, but there is a bit of rivalry in that field. So there was this like mental gymnastics that was going on. And also Kubrick. <laughs> this is the funniest shit I found out. Fucking uh, Kirk Douglas was method acting the whole time like really into it and the british actors didn't give a shit like (laughs) method acting isn't a very american thing if you look into it like not many other actors from other countries will really do that so they don't really understand it um so it's funny like a lot of even modern actors are like that fucking american thing so these british guys didn't care they just they would go into character when they needed to and then not be in character so there was (laughs) the scene at the end where he's being crucified mm-hmm. and Kirk Douglas is there. They shot it silently and they voiced it after the fact. Well, 
<laughs> the guy that plays the um the guy that's in charge of the uh, gladiatorial school. Oh, um, he yes. happened to be in the office one day when they were doing the sound recordings, and they, he had to bring a note to Kirk Douglas. And he's like, "Okay," so he goes and finds Kirk Douglas in the sound stage, lying on the floor, like he's being crucified on the floor, <laughs> saying his lines. And fucking, the guy who had the note went in and tried to tell him. Like, I have a message for you, but Kirk Douglas wouldn't acknowledge him. So he lied <laughs> down on the floor next to him and like he's being crucified. He turned his head and whispered, you have a message? And he's like, he gave me the dirtiest look I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> oh, just my the God. Thought, just the thought of that. It's just like fucking a guy lying down next to Kirk Douglas. You have a message. <laughs> and just getting up. <laughs> Oh my god! But that shit was happening a lot with the other actors too. So the thespians were all like trying to outwit each other via acting. So there's this one scene um, where it's with Crassus and again that guy who's the gladiatorial school director, mm-hmm. and uh, they're talking about you know who can identify Spartacus, and they apparently in one of the takes, Crassus was trying to see who could have the longer pause, so he's like. Oh, do you happen to know where Spartacus lies? <laughs> and the guy that was who was telling the story is like, I picked up on it immediately. So then he went, Oh, <laughs> I haven't the faintest. <laughs> like they literally, they, they the, like were the just stupidest trying to, contest. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to fuck each other over, like and screw each other up, and like you know, it was all friendly competition in a way, but. And the guy that plays the Roman senator, Gracchus? Gracchus. He, he was very, very famous. Even though they and were the dead guy for that, a long time. Um, well, well, there was another say, Gracchus uh, I looked up in 73 BC. There was a famous one, uh, the 140. The, the Gracchus brothers are, uh, I think that's who they're trying to emulate, is the, the Gracchi brothers. That's yes. who that's supposed to be. Um, who, yeah, 140, they uh, assassinated, basically. But, I thought I saw one. There was a Gracchus that was killed around this time in seventy three. I thought that guy was actually real, but you're the you're the expert, so I'm not sure. Um, but long story short, that guy was a very respected old school um, actor, and the guy that played Crassus was like trying to outwit him at every every point, and a lot of their like on scene tension that's real. Like that's that's like them again they're all like trying to fuck each other over but not fuck each other over in the open i i don't know it's like it's a very interesting <laughs> not compi- heard about it huh. yeah it's like a very interesting game of wits as fucking kirk douglas is like you know flying on the floor of a fucking soundstage <laughs> <laughs> um well now we talked about like everything for the film so yeah how does it how does it like you know stock up to the actual history of the real event and and who it, was Spartacus was uh, the I've short heard that he was is, a slave he was a nobody nobody and, knows um, oh. nobody knows this is this is why I say it takes a lot of liberties this is the, the the third servile war is this we know it happened we know kind of we know what Spartacus did we don't know why there's no Spartacus manifesto there was no stated reason there's no as far as we can tell like um 
statement given by some of the captives of what they were doing and why. It just is. All we know is from the Roman sources who were writing after that period. Um, one one who was writing quite recently after the period. Some that seem to be some uh, sources seem to be working from earlier sources that we have since lost, unfortunately, which is what a lot of ancient history is, unfortunately. Um, so Spartacus, there's many different thoughts about well, a lot of what is said is that he's a Thracian, which was like basically like modern Bulgaria is. Um, they were a, I guess you could call the barbarian people, nomadic people um, who fought primarily on horseback, who were constantly fighting the Romans for the early, much of the part of the uh, late Republic into the uh, Imperial, into the what we call the Imperium. Um, but it's a thought that either Spartacus was a captured POW, he may have been a Roman auxiliary, which is basically an allied kingdom to Rome that you fight within the Roman army, and eventually you get citizenship after. Um, and it's thought that he was a deserter, and thus he was captured and sent to, and so, you know, basically brought into slavery. Um, but regardless of what is true or not, he was put into a ludus, which is a gladiatorial school. That's what they're called, and it was in Capua, and we know he broke out. That's that's kind of the basis. We only know very little about him, though. There's a lot of strong uh, evidence that he was an auxiliary, a deserter, because obviously he beats quite a few Roman armies, so he clearly knew how the Romans thought, how they would act, how they would, you know, how to respond to that. So he clearly had some sort of military training, or he was just some sort of military genius that, you know, was just unfound of. But the short answer is, we don't know who Spartacus is, because there's nothing, there's no written source by him. Um, and this is also the third servile war, which is basically the third large slave revolt. The uh, last, the first two were on Sicily um, where earlier in this, about 40 years beforehand, and even earlier before when those wars broke out. Huh. So, were slave revolts, like, common in the ancient world? I know that, you know, people talk about the Bastille and all that kind of shit, but... So, the short answer is there was always disruptions. There would be somewhat revolts, but they would usually be put down quickly. Obviously, you don't want to advertise slave revolts, so they probably weren't recorded if there were any. Hmm. Um, the fact that in all of Roman history, we really only have three to talk about, and Spartacus is kind of the end of it. It's like, um, because this is, like, really the height of Roman slavery, if you want to let me use that phrase um slavery obviously existed throughout the empire and after it but only the pagans though right? only the pagans yeah the pagan yeah. tyranny mm-hmm. um that's what i thought but eventually this is like the height of rome's wars of expansion are coming and eventually when that stops slaves become more and more and more valuable eventually i believe it's under augustus or one of the other emperors it becomes illegal to kill a slave um so and roman slavery is not like what you would think of like a racial based plantation slavery like you would think of in the US it's more of it's not a racial based it's like you are defeated POW or a criminal or um you were born into slavery or something like that it's it's not a racial based one it's really this whole smattering of people that were either defeated by the romans deserters there was many ways to get in, put into slavery um but it's not a racial based one it's basically what is the is the short hand it's a short hand of that well i know uh like in later times you know like with the ottomans and everything a lot of those slaves are just taken because they were coastal raids 
mm-hmm. you know, and things like that. There's just a million different ways to becoming a debtor. I'm not sure yep. if that was the thing. This mm-hmm. oh, it was, yeah. Yep. So you could you could also you sell your children into slavery. There were yep. laws mm-hmm. later on in the Imperium that clamped on on that. You really weren't allowed to do that. Um, but obviously, these things probably still Justinus happened. Justinus is not getting a good grade and whatever. The yeah, fuck well, it's there. you know too many mouths to feed. Either <laughs> you, you leave the kid to expose some of the infant exposure, or yeah, hell yeah, the science. It's you know, and it depends on you know some. A lot of shepherds in the Roman world were slaves. Uh, there's, you know, in the, especially in the height of the Republic, like house slaves and city slaves, there would be almost an absurd amount. It was sort of a way to show off your your wealth. You would have a, you know, a very wealthy like senator would have a slave to open the door, one to close the door, one to take off his shoes, one to wash his feet, one to dress him and take off his toga, one to help him bathe. Like it was this ridiculous amount. Because it was just a way to sh- flaunt your wealth to visitors and things like that. Because all, all, you know, Roman public life was very big. You would have callers and clients coming to your house all the time, look for favors and giveaways and stuff like that, especially if you were super wealthy. So it was a way to show off. Um, I mean, obviously, that's a very small amount of slaves. Most, as you see in the beginning of the film, went to the mines. Criminals went to the mines and you would live a short and brutal life. And that was kind of it. Um but the more fit and more strongest would probably be selected and better looking would go to gladiator schools, Ludus, the Ludi, to you know, be trained to fight, put on a good show, and you know, somewhat fight to the death. Not always, though. That was actually very not super common. Um, it depends on how good of a show you put on. You, if people who are somewhat familiar with Roman history probably know, it's there was a referee in um, in all these fights. Uh, really? It's usually, if you were like a condemned prisoner, you wouldn't be given any training, maybe minimum training just to put on a fight. Um, but there would be referees and there would be different styles of fighting. Um, it's also said that Spartacus was a Mermilia, which was a heavy sort of gladiator. Um, in the film, he's one of the lighter gladiators, the name of which is escaping me right now, but he is a lighter gladiator would have a small shield and a small sword. And he would usually get paired with a Mermilio to fight. Which Mermilio has big, heavy arm guards, or leg guards, a helmet. You know, if you think of that classical helmet, that kind of this weird, like almost a Morion-shaped one that has a base um, grate in the front of it, um, and a big, like heavy, rectangular yeah. scutum uh, shield and a small sword. Um, you usually wouldn't fight, fight two Mermilios next to each other. You would have different types of fighting, like where he fights the guy with the trident. That's another different type of fighting style. Um, so you would try to have exciting shows and go on. And as they say, when he doesn't want to fight um, the, uh, the head of the uh, gladiator school, doesn't want to fight them to the death, they're a huge investment to take these guys and train them and feed them and clothe them. You want them to put on a good show, and when they die, you then don't have that investment anymore. They're an asset at the end of the day. Yeah. You're going to look at it like that. Yeah, you know? it, it's, it may seem messed up, but yeah, you would try to take care that you didn't just they didn't all just die in one show you know you want to really build them up put on a good show that's how you get a, that's how you get money um and yeah they you know gladiators will come out to the big cheer the crowd they put on the fight and everything and depending on if you won or not you would take a nice like lap around you would have palm branches thrown on you and it, it was very enticing you know but at the end of the day you're still a slave you know people 
loved gladiators. They would have their sweat viled up as be as an aphrodisiac. Like it's really? it's just some messed up stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, huh. you could and yeah, you could be sold to a like a rich patrician to be a basically sex slave. <laughs> like, you know, and either way, man or man or woman, like it's at the end of the day, you were this famous gladiator who's the crowds cheered your names, but you went back to basically the prison at the end of the day. Were there female gladiators as well? Uh, yes, but very uncommon. Um, yeah, because I've never even gladiatrix is a uh, yeah gladiatrix is like a, a modern name, but there was there's I, I think um, inscriptions of like famous editors, which is what the guys who put on gladiator shows. That's the Latin name for them. Um, like who had woman fighting arms, but there's only a handful of them of all the games we ever heard of, so it's not very common. Beast fights and stuff like that would be more are way more common, or have the gladiators deck down like all silver armor, which apparently Caesar did at one point. That's that's more common than you, you hear about woman gladiators, maybe a handful of times. Yeah, but this is the first time I've heard of it, so I'm just very shocked. And I mean, I've heard of the Christians versus lions thing a million times. And, yeah. Um, you know, or the fact that well, you know, the, the games in Rome were huge. The Colosseum uh, the types of games huge. Yeah. But that's yeah. also the Colosseum because about in AD seventy. So, well, but by, by Colosseum, by Colosseum, you, I, you I mean, mean the, the Colosseum in the, the, the Flavian, yeah. the Flavian Amphitheater. If you want to give me the, the correct <laughs> name, right? <laughs> like, Occam's Razor here, sure. Yeah. But like, what what would they call? Because every bigger city eventually would get a circus or something. So would they go to the circus to watch gladiator matches or were they really in a, only in, in Rome? Arena, in arena. Oh, it was really what so, it was. Um, the fucking, I don't have to look up the Latin name. Basically in arena. Kind of like the one you saw um, in the film. That's a pretty crude one. There's one in Capua. Actually a little ancient city in Capua. I'll try to find a photo of it. Nathan can... Oh, it still exists? You know, Nathan do the thing. Yeah, there's there's ruins have been found of... Uh, <laughs> Nathan There's ruins the all over. Um of of uh, gladiatorial uh, arenas and stuff like that, and how widespread were they? Very popular. They're they're basically like, so all, all over, over the empire. All over the empire. Yeah, they were very famous. Yeah, they were very popular. Now I'm I'm interested to see where the most random fucking uh, gladiatorial <laughs> site still exists. Yeah, there's probably find, some. Like, in, like, there's probably some in Libya in like the middle of the desert. What's now the desert? There's a lot of uh, like Roman cities that are abandoned out there. Yeah, well, after they took Carthage, they just fucking populated that shit and then sandstorm. Yeah. Thanks to Rune. Yeah, and but, also, um, also the the uh, it's not as uh, viable as it was back in the Roman area, but Roman era. Oh well, yeah, with all the trade network because that was the center yeah. of the world. Was the yeah, well, it's, all, it's not as uh, it's not as um, it's more arid now. Like it's not. It, uh, Oh, the climate's changed. Well, yeah, that the climate has changed. That's what I'm trying to get. To. <laughs> there, there are a few places that um that's happened in the last two thousand years, and I'm not trying to be like climate change. You know, this is natural processes because it's the last two millennia. Yeah. But it's interesting how like this very small changes over periods of time how humans have, have left. Um, there's a really cool documentary. This guy he like goes around the world to crazy places in, like the '90s. He goes to Libya, and like he has like he's like given a guard from Gaddafi and stuff. But long story short, they they go like very far south into the country, into the hills, um, and they find like remnants of Roman outposts. And apparently, that was some of the southernmost outposts of the empire. They would have like two hundred miles south of the Libyan coast. They had these like ring of uh, forts that was trying to keep out the the bear bears. 
So it's like, it's just fucking insane. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> Romans in the middle of the desert. Um, yeah, it's, but so, yeah, I mean, North Africa was a Roman province for hundreds, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. It's hard to think of now because it's, you know, uh, now uh, Arab, the Arab population, you know, it's mostly predominantly Muslim faith, but thousands of years it was a Roman province. What this has nothing really to do with this, but it's a good quote that kind of puts things in things into perspective of how time passes with history. And I know you've heard this before. So, you know, the city of Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, was sieged since it basically was built by everyone. And it was sieged heavily into the 800s until there was this very big battle where the Arabs lost the whole fleet. Very long thing. And basically, they decreed that there would not be any more fighting, you know, for Constantinople until it changed. And long story short, it was 600 years about of a moratorium on fighting to take Constantinople. Take, uh, and then finally, in the 1400s. About other reasons, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's the reader that's in a the, capital right They there. did it. Oh, I'll take a look at it. They, yeah. you know, they ended up attacking again and resieging and taking the city. The period of time since the Turks took the city in 1453 to now is shorter than the period of time that the Turks decided not to attack the city to the time they, they besieged the city. So that just puts into perspective these huge expanses of time. Yeah, so, so long people so were there. It's, it's the Arab Caliphate, not the Turkish uh, Sultanate of the Ottomans. <laughs> and it's a whole <laughs> different people. But yeah, that's... Yeah, you know. It's yeah, it, it's it's crazy. They think about the you know that's the thing about the Roman Empire is how long it lasted for. It's it's crazy to think about, and we're still still feel the you know you still are in the shadow of the Roman world today. Um, What's anyways, the standard the, the, size of a railroad track yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that literally draws its fucking way all the way back to the Roman Empire? And yeah. what's the standard width of a car track? You know, it, it's amazing how certain things just yeah. stay throughout time because I, I, yeah, look at the, it, you know, if you're a lawyer, you look at the legal language. It's in Latin. <laughs> right. Pro, you know, quid pro quo and all that stuff we were talking about with Trump. It's, it's all in Latin. <laughs> um, oh God. Uh, yeah, wait till it, they it, fucking uh, wait till they have to bring them to Rome. But, uh, <laughs> the thir- uh anyway, the third, so about back, getting back to, uh, Spartacus. The, um, well, I would ask you something too, but yeah, uh huh. go ahead. Well, so this is a very, you know, it's a war movie, but it's more of a civil war strike film. And they do a lot on both sides of the story to show, you know, what's happening and things. And they do show a lot of Roman society. Now, one of the shows I really like, I think I should watch again. I thought about this last night. I was watching this is Rome, the old mm-hmm. HBO show. And it made me. That's only about that's only about twenty thirty years off from this. This is seventy one really? seventy three A D, and that's Caesar's uh, siege of Alesia was in oh god fifty four B C. You meet well, it, you meet it, Julius Caesar in the film. Uh, so the, which is that was cool. Yeah. Is in oh god the forty and forty to thirty B C. I'm gonna get back in someone's going to already, it wasn't the fuck with those periods, but you're not far off from this. Like Caesar, Pompey, Crassus, those are the third triumvirates. And that's, those are the guys who start bringing them down about the fall of the, uh, the, of the Republic. Crassus, maybe not so much, but Caesar and Pompey are who fight the civil war. And they're, you know, that's, they're in this film. So that's, that's how far off you are from the fall of the Republic. Well, it's just and from crazy. HBO's Rome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just crazy to me to think that, 
you know, the Roman Empire existed for so long, as we've been saying. And they really only focus on this two century period. Between, yeah. You know, it, like 150 and 50, 150 BC or uh, whatever the new term is to 50 CE or, you know, BCE like. is really just a yeah, oh, that's sla- slap an E on the end of it. Common era. That's what it is. Yeah. Wait. <laughs> oh, so, so you mean when we got rid of slavery? Yeah. Yeah. The pagan <laughs> tyranny ended. That's well, what yeah. I, thought, I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's, this is one of the most, the, the, the Civil War and Caesar is one of the most known periods of Roman history. It's there's sources that are fresh. There's Caesar himself. There's Cicero, uh, the great statesman who also, who has multiple writings you could read. It's it's definitely I always want to say the most well documented, um, but it's definitely not the most interested in my opinion. There's so much so much of Roman history. There's literally like two millennia going on here. <laughs> you can really pick and choose what you want to read about, but. Right, yeah, if you bring you know. them right to fourteen fifty three. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. but they call themselves Romans, but are they actual Romans? Yeah. Well, you know. yes. And now, Sean. Well, the real question <laughs> here is that yeah, now that, that to the cows come home. <laughs> now that we don't have slavery, you know, does the yeah. uh, ghost come from the Holy Spirit or from the sun? No. <laughs> Where does the logos come from? <laughs> is the sun the same essence of the Father? Is, now we get into is, the Aryan the Aryan heresy, <laughs> the Spartacus podcast. We got to start burning these fucking icons, okay? I can't see this shit. <laughs> got to get rid of these icons. That's why we're losing there to the go. Muslims. <laughs> it's eight seventy five. Let's do this shit. <laughs> but um, um, no, it's yeah. just very interesting to see like all the civilian, you know, life. Because again, you think of Rome, you think of Caesar and Gaul and fighting and Britannia, whatever. But it's just interesting to see this other side of it, you know. And uh, Rome, I think, does a really good – the TV show does a really good job of showing R- – Rome, yeah, the TV show does a really good – Rome is really cool because they really did a good job of showing how, you know, they lived in reality. And it was just neat, you know, to see this, this stupid shit. Like, I think one of the episodes is, like, smoking pot. You know, they have the oil they put on their skin and stuff. It's just very interesting. Yeah, the, now, the surgery they do is one of my favorites on a Titus. I don't hit the remember head. that. <laughs> like, uh, drill it out the back of his head. That's a real thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's... Uh, it, it does a great job. But, like, take, you know, if you take that and you understand that, like, Crassus and the and uh, the Ludus, which was actually in the city, they have, um, in the city of Capua, it was, you know, Ludus is more of a prison than a school. That's one thing that I don't, you know, that I don't kind of like in this movie is that they don't show that that school. They're all, we're all work together and learn together, and uh, well, I'll just get along with Spartacus. Like Alutus is a fucking prison. Like you got to think of like the culture that exists in a prison of like head bitch <laughs> and stuff like that. Like that's the kind of that's the kind of culture that would go on in these things. Like at the we end got of the, the day, yard, yeah, you know, like, like yeah, like you talk about like oh well, you know, it wasn't as brutal as people think gladiatorial fights. Yeah, but it was still a guy fighting to the death, and if you did lose, and the guy killed you, they went and slit your throat to make sure you were dead, and you got thrown out. <laughs> like and like yeah, like I got threw your body into the Tiber, like or whatever fucking pit they had, like. Yeah, you, it's it's brutal. It was not like Alutus is not a nice place. <laughs> like, That's a good way to put it. You know, it's yeah. it's, it's it's a it's fucking a prison. <laughs> it's a communist work camp. You yeah. know, like you, you basically get a gulag, but and but they make sure you're dead when you die. Like, yeah, I, I, you but know. yeah, you get treated right if you behave. <laughs> you get it. It's a fucking prison at the end of the day. Um, the beatings will continue until morale. Yeah, well, it brings me know that like uh, when they feed them and they, it doesn't look like they're eating a lot. Gladiators were pretty fucking well fed. You you wanted to be you wanted to fatten your gladiators up. Um, they had a very high protein, high caloric diet. 
because um, they wanted to be big, broad-chested. I want to say almost like a, not like sumo level, but big, broad, uh, you know, because you would fight shaved with your chest exposed to show off your sweaty body. You know, it, it's that kind of stuff. But also, if you get a cut, it there's you have that natural layer of fat to kind of protect you, and it bleeds more, so it would look better, too. And that's the kind of, also a bit of put it on a good fight. Um hmm. Yeah, they would be fed barley too, which was like a heavy diet of barley. Barley is the food for slaves because wheat is better. Um, that's kind of how the Romans looked at it. But you would have a ha- high caloric diet, and it would almost be like force feeding at some points. But you had to eat. You ate a lot. Uh, there's gladiator skeletons that have been discovered, and they have like better bone density than most people of the time, and that's because they were you know you're bred to fight. Huh. Yep. You're you're literally a fucking you know. Uh, a prize fighter with a chain around your neck. Yeah, it's not a not a not a pleasant existence. Hence, why this this revolt breaks out. But when when did gladiators really start? So Is they go. That... It's not like there's a record of like we started having gladiator fights on this. Day. I'm at the rape of Sabine women, Sean. Where yeah. am I going? No, well, that's <laughs> that's where you go. I mean, you're going back to the Etruscan society that heavily influenced the Romans. It's it's not known when they first came about. They could have been about forever. Um, Was it an Etruscan thing? Is there yeah, it's to thought to be an Etruscan thing. Um, really? Hmm. As most, a lot of you know, Didn't the Romans. did the Etruscans steal a lot of shit from the Phoenicians? Or am I getting that wrong? Well, it's just about everybody did. Like your, your fucking oh, alpha, alphabet you. you use today is. Um, it, it, it's hard to say who did what first. Yeah, the Phoenicians developed uh, the alphabet. The, that you wouldn't, the they, Arabic you wouldn't alphabet? know it today. Not the Arabic alphabet. You use the Roman Arabic numeral system was what you're talking about. Like alphabets as we know them came from the Venetians. Like, what the fuck did they to, not do? Uh, good question. Yeah. Uh, uh, you see, the Sean, second I have this war. very small snail. Okay, I have a rock. <laughs> That's I, I think uh, Phoenician eventually is like a translation of purple, or like people who make purple. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that, that's how I was. That's where that comes in, from. Uh, yeah. But that's it's thought to come from the Etruscan culture, and it was very popular in Italy, obviously, hmm. and spread throughout. As you know, the Romans are great adapters, uh, instead of not so much innovators in a way, but adapters. Um, and that's why their empire was so successful and spread. Um, but yeah, they're thought to go all the way back and they really start dying out. And like with the crisis of the second, uh, the third century, once slaves become hard to come by and expensive and, you know, Christianity kind of does start to take over and, and uh, spread, you know, kindness shall i say or a more humanity more humanity as we would understand it they kind of die out in popularity um wild beast hunts and chariot games would get way like chariot racing would get way more popular in gladiatorial combat and eventually as you know as the west fades away and the byzantine as what we call the byzantine empire um continues on they're done so probably done so around 300 with constantine and Interesting. So they really were, well, not a short-lived period, but they, they didn't last too far into the Empire. Not, uh, they did. They did. Um, it's not in their... Not long in the Christian Empire, I should say. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so they had the, the thousand-year birth of Rome games that were big. Uh, that was in two in the 240s or somewhere around there. If I'm remembering correctly, I'm probably not, but somewhere around that period with Philip the Arab, the emperor. Um, 
but once the empire christianizes they really die out um yeah but um with spartacus when uh, they broke out from the ludus they actually did use like kitchen utensils anything they can get their hands on um it originally apparently the plan was going to be 200 from what the sources say but somebody talked and they just kind of broke out spontaneously about 70 got away um and it's, it really is they kind of just go around rampaging and picking up other slaves and stuff like that. Um, but like I said, there's no manifesto. There's no Nobody knows what the revolt wanted to accomplish, if there even was anything they wanted to accomplish. They think it was because it was way better organized than most slave revolts. Um, but it, they just sort of gain steam, loot Capua, and eventually they retreat to Vesuvius and make a... a um, sort of hideaway, a maroon community on top of Vesuvius. Um, which they show in the movie when they're on top of Vesuvius. However, Vesuvius, the Mount Vesuvius at the time, no one knew it was a volcano, um, was super well, This heavily. is before the eruption. This is before, right? yes. This yeah. is before the eruption, mm-hmm. yes. Um, uh, when was the eruption? I'm just, sorry, this is my own uh, seven, so In the 70s AD? Also about 100 years. Hun- about 100 years. Or 150 yeah. years, actually, yeah, to do the real just, math. But interesting. Yeah, huh. in the, way more in the future. Maybe even 80 AD. Um, wow. Right? Yeah, I think it's under demission. Um, yeah. but the, I want to say 80 AD. Um, huh. But yeah, this is way... This is in the future. That's other... Uh, eruptions in the future but but vesuvius was very heavily wooded actually if you look at a fucking photo of it like during the war or today it is heavily wooded um and they send down the you know originally the senate doesn't really take notice of this as it is just some slaves broke out as they start looting the states they take a little more notice and they send a praetor which is sort of a mid-level official military official um and that's kind of a sign of how little how little seriously they took this threat. They just send a kind of middle rank official, no name official, uh, Galba. I, I know the, uh, was it Glober? Glabus? Is his name. Gla- Glober, the Glabus or Glober. Um, he's, I don't know, like they kind of set him up that he's related to Crassus somehow. That's nobody, that's not true. <laughs> as far as I can tell. <laughs> Maybe they were lovers. Who knows? Yeah, uh, no, I, I think they were just... Are oysters. Those are oysters. Hey, as long as you're the dominant. We'll get into that. But, um, yeah, we can touch on that in a minute. We All can touch on that, but uh, a little Greek love. Um, just a tip. God. <laughs> but, um... I don't. I think they were just trying to insert Crassus and have, like, Crassus and Spartacus have a history, and, and that's all just inserted kind of made up again nobody knows really anything about spartacus um but glober kind of uh puts himself at the bottom of vesuvius the other side of vesuvius is super steep and they don't think nobody can get down um and so they really are just going to wait them out and starve them out so they don't even bother like the fences and stuff like that um and in the movie, they just sort of ride down Vesuvius, which is like a big open, you know, hills of California plain. I don't know where they shot this, but it's not Vesuvius. I think it was outside of LA. Yeah, yeah everything looks like South California, which I guess parts of Italy do. California. It's California. Yeah. California. It's like so many slay. Um, you got to take the 405 to the 102. <laughs> then you get on the eight-lane highway, and oh it's still God. backed up. Oh, my God. OJ just drove past me. <laughs> um, but yeah he just sort of rides down this like giant 
open hill. <laughs> Guard fucking yeah. Was, yeah, heavily wooded. And they actually had to rappel down the far side of Vesuvius by making ropes out of vines. And there's been research recently where they actually did, somebody did that. They actually made ropes out of vines and rappelled down the bottom of Mount Vesuvius. And they did that. The whole, like a huge army was able to get down. I think it was around ten thousand or something around this point. We're able to get down and sweep around. A lot around. of fucking ropes. It's a lot. Yeah, a lot of vines. But they they got down and they came right up from behind and Point basically of destroyed Galber's army and all the arms and army, all the arms and armor they had. They took it. Um, then another Praetor army comes down to try and stop them. They get taken out. Um, but these are all. You gotta remember, these are not like. Formerly char, former, and yeah, that's um. Let me compile my thoughts here. These aren't formal legionnaires. These aren't the legions. This is militia, locally raised militia in Italy to deal with a slave escape. You know, it, it's and it's difficult for them to want to like the consuls to want to go or anyone of higher authority to go because there's no honor in fighting slaves. It's not. It's like a foreign <laughs> enemy. There's no honor in it. So. And really, it, it's not until the slave revolt really gets going with when Spartacus really gets going after he defeats these two praetors, that's when they really have to take the threat seriously, and that's when they send the consular armies in, um, under two consuls, which is about four legions, uh, and Spartacus actually defeats them one for one. He defeats one legion, turns around, defeats the next, uh, these two consular armies, um, and this is where this is why people don't know what he wanted because now that he's defeated these two consular armies they could have just left but instead they go south and this is where the big what what if if they could have just marched north it really was nothing to stop them until they got to the alps however they think that the alps were fortified it's very possible that the slaves thought it was fortified spartacus thought it was fortified and they didn't think they could get through the Alps. And maybe there was just too many women and children. They would never be able to survive in the Alps crossing through winter or any time. So they decide to go south. And that's when Crassus rages, raises his own legions and kind of marches them into the south of Italy and traps them by Brundisium by the, by the boot there. That's where Spartacus has this, you know, Kirk Douglas has this super well-drawn map of Italy that's better than <laughs> I saw that. you'll, you'll ever see till like, planes are invented. Um <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, I guess take some liberties with the movie. What, what does the Roman map of of Italy look like? Or the world? So there's of... oh god, I just I just read what one of them was. I'd have to look through my history to find one. Um, but you really I've are seen dealing a lot of ancient maps. You really are dealing with a time before maps as we know it existed. Um, if they did, they were super crude. Um, there's a lot of talk about you know the grand strategy the romans with the river defenses and stuff like that if they really knew if they really had that kind of grand sense of uh of of strategy if they even knew anything about that so they weren't great (laughs) i will try to find there is a very famous map Um, i have found a map that nathan do your thing uh the tabula Pentagranium. Yep, that's what I was looking for, actually. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's, it's that's fuck it. what they think <laughs> is a Roman map, or at least hey, a listen. version of it. Yeah, uh, that's Sean. That's Italy if I've ever seen that's it, it in my life. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, you, know. you know distances and things like that. It, it's obviously the Romans had a great road network, so they knew something about it. But it's uh, maps as we know it. That's as good as you got, kind of deal. <laughs> like, and that's like that's really a road. That's really a road map if you really wanted to break it down. That shows what roads go where to what fortresses and cities. Um, 
If there's no, you know, it, it's <laughs> that map is comical in the movie. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, they like... get basically get trapped in the south of Italy um, mm-hmm. by Crassus. And it's a big debate of how big of the siege was if he'd really trapped them there. Um, and why Spartacus went south instead of north. It's thought that he wanted to get to Sicily to either get reinforcements there. Maybe he knew about the slave revolts that had happened there. Maybe he thought he had a better chance of getting to the island and maybe they could basically live on Sicily for the rest of their lives and take, break Sicily off. Maybe that's what they thought, which was never going to happen because Sicily was a huge breadbasket for the Roman Empire. Um, but they do make a deal with Cilician pirates who are like Spartacus, Kirk Douglas's are like a superpower, but they were just, you know, pirates. They were just very powerful pirates. Uh, Cilicia is the southern, basically, the if you were looking at Turkey, it would be the southwest part of Turkey. That's what the province of Cilicia was. Um, a lot of pirates were there until Pompey eventually stomped them out. Um, and they did make a deal with them, and they kind of just took the money and ran. Um, whether somebody bribed them or they just thought they couldn't do it, there was a lot of, you know, the province of Sicily is right there, and they thought that the Sicily coast was being fortified against them. That That's speculated. Um, that, so the Cilician pirates kind of saw a bad deal and just left um, Spartacus out to dry and took their money. Um, hmm. Yeah, it, it, so that, that part happened. Um, it's also you know, very treacherous straits. The straits yeah, they, you know, they think they could have tried to get a by. They could have got across by raft. They may have tried that, couldn't do it. So eventually they have to break out um, this is where the army actually splits into two at several points. Crixus, he's mentioned a couple times that he led another army. He led another little breakaway army, and he was defeated. Um, and eventually, Spartacus was defeated by Crassus um, at the big battle you see at the end of the movie. Uh, I will pull up the name of that battle right now, as it's fucking escaping my goddamn memory. So, um, and it's funny, uh, I totally forgot that we mentioned this an hour ago at this point, but that battle. Um, so, I don't think there's a lot to really rival that. Um, obviously, when we talk about arms and armor, it's 1950s idea of what Rome was, so it's not the best. But when you take that out of it, just the numbers and the the way the cohorts and the guys move, it's knowing really they're all cool. real, it's, it's really fucking cool. cool. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> like in a bowl, in a way. You know, like, so you can see you know, towards the Romans and then up towards um, Spartacus. And what I loved was the marching men. Yeah. And how it's, they don't stop. Yeah. And you're like, okay. And then it's, you know, and then just continuing. Yeah, continuing. yeah they're like, in the fleet. So yeah, they're in the, cool. the manipular formations and stuff like that in the centuries. And they're fanning out. Like, it's, it's really well done. It's really cool to see. Again, like we talked about Waterloo. It's like, when it gets to the fighting, it looks a little hokey, but like, just that scene of all those guys in formation marching and like, it looks so cool and it's just something you don't see again today. No, you know, and that's the amazing thing about epics. Yeah. It's just you just have the money, the funds, and the practical effects. Like those fucking burning um, you know, the sticks they had. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've commented on that we did some turning like that's a Hollywood favorite. <laughs> a, a burning yeah, right. log that's 
looks impossible to control. Well, it's like, really funny. Why don't you just try to throw the spear at the guys that are carrying the fucking logs? Like, why, why did we wait for them to get up? You have a, you, literally the Romans carried pilums, like throwing javelin. <laughs> like, why didn't you just do like, that? Oh, it was funny too, because if you look very closely, a lot of the weapons are all styrofoam. It's like when they're marching, like the pilums are wobble, yeah. wobble, 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 there, wobble. There's a couple of uh, there's a couple times where Kirk Douglas is, is fighting people, and you can tell the swords are bent in. When they <laughs> like I'm watching it now, the scene where they all move their shields at the same time. That's like, yeah, that's. And, really and cool. I was thinking too, Kubrick is famous for his fucking persistence and control. And that was one thing that through his career that he wanted ultimate creative control of everything. So. To the point where his last film, Eyes Wide Shut, he recreated New York City in London so that he can control it. And yeah, well, it looks better you know, than Away, I'll give him that, man. <laughs> fucking, um, <laughs> you know, he, uh, I really wonder how many times he had to do these takes because he's also known for doing the take until you get it. 96, 100, 100 it doesn't matter. And being a dick to his actors about it at the same time. So this is a different production. It wasn't really a Kubrick production in a way, but when I was watching, it just made me think like it's yeah, a huge epic. How many times did they Jug- walk through there? <laughs> yeah. How many times did they do that? I, I will say when they're marching, it, it's, it looks like fresh grass. It's not like, you know, the field does oh, not look was, like it's trampled. Like, that was the cool thing too. Yeah. yeah if you notice when the Romans march in, there's so many extras and they're all marching in line. They make cornrows in yeah. the fucking field. Like literally. Cause it's perfect, and that's how perfect they're pacing. And it just makes you think, you know, what the term battlefield, field of battle. You know, what did an actual battle look like? Yeah, and a field in ancient times, and especially after the fact. I love the after the fact scenes where like everybody's fucking dead, and it's just you know one of the biggest complaints of this movie. They actually had to cut out a lot of the scenes they put back into it. Um, they cut 30 minutes out of this film that, if you watch it today, wasn't in it in 1960, but they said it was too bloody. A lot of test audiences didn't like how red it was and how hmm. bloody it was, which is hysterical. The few you get but, are that, like, you know, the few uh, scenes. I think like, Kirk Douglas chomps some of these arm out of one point, but, like, when you're in was the gladiator room, yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, like, <laughs> cut away. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> you see, uh, it's like that Dawn of the Dead, uh, or, uh, yeah, Dawn of the Dead, fucking uh, like bright red blood. <laughs> it looks yeah, little, right. Looks a little silly. <laughs> it's like the same shit that they use in uh, like when they kill the uh, Ethiopian dude early on. You know, it's like Crassus yeah. gets fucking red on his face. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. bright, yeah. bright red. <laughs> but it, it's funny, you know, the, the whole movie builds and builds and builds, and then there's this battle, and it's like, yeah, it's a it's an nineteen, it's a you know nineteen fifties movie. Trying yeah. To say. But it's worth it. It's worth the two and a half hours of like, okay, it's just three. It, it's not like it's three. Uh, Let's say two and a half. It's three. But well, by the time it gets the battle, it's two and a half hours yeah. into it. You know? And there was several battles in this part. Look, I've just described. There was a mm-hmm. he defeated a couple armies. Um, yeah. But they've just cut that all out because it can't have well, too much. You, know, you gotta have that. It's already two hours. That, you, know? you gotta have that lovely uh, romance with Kurt Douglas and the Britannian woman. Yeah. Even though there's it stated that he had a Thracian woman. Uh, who was a worshiper of the god Dionysus with him. Hey, listen, Sean, we all Brit- need a side piece, okay? We, we said Britannia because people might know that that's Britain. and they, oh, <laughs> we, we went with that. <laughs> 1960s, yeah, the way yeah, it goes. Yeah. That's, that's the way it goes. But no, that battle was definitely worth it. Again, yeah. it's, it's easy to knock on the fact that they used their cutting-edge history at the time to do it. 
50 years from now, they might look at Roman movies made today as pieces of fucking shit because 20 years from now, we're going to find the horde in Cornwall. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, it, I just, only as good as your it, most it, recent the mind. amount of extras walking and, you know, the amount of marching in that formation, it it's just it can't be beaten. Like, it, no. it still looks good. Again, when you get to the you actual know, battle, the, it can be a bit corny, but I, I still, I actually liked it. No, it was, it was really well done for the time. Yeah, and that fucking arm <laughs> cut off. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it, it's, you know, it was definitely cutting edge for 1960. And for a film that was made because I didn't get cast as Ben-Hur, I think it does a better job. <laughs> it's, I like it, Ben-Hur, but Ben-Hur is a religious epic. Yes. And it's a great religious epic. But this is a... This, this is, is this an is ancient to, epic. Yeah, this is an know? ancient epic. That's trying to slap some sense of freedom and liberation that probably didn't exist in the in this revolt. Um, mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, there's there's no. Uh, it's you know they did Spartacus did loot uh, one of the cities. Thirty was one of those cities they actually managed to take, um, and they basically left the house slaves. They did not. You know they would only want gladiators, shepherds, field slaves, stuff like that. Guys who were strong. You were seen as you know that. House slave, field slave division was very much there, and they didn't really take urban slaves. Um, it would, you know, that part where they're walking through the city and they're like have been thrown flowers by the townspeople. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I don't think that happened, but it's, um, you know, this grand form of liberation. We'll, fr- we'll march on Rome and free every slave. Nope. <laughs> it didn't do that. <laughs> Whether or not they wanted to go home is up to debate the guy Crixus who was a Gaul actually when he took part of the army they it's thought that they just wanted to keep on looting and killing and stealing the Roman snuff maybe Spartacus had a greater plan we'll never know but you know it's that grand plan we'll liberate everybody we'll all go home the wine tastes the best with home wherever it is I, I, I don't think so <laughs> <laughs> yeah well it's just you know one of those things lost to history but yeah and and again in the battle too, like when they showed the uh, all the families to get massacred and stuff, you know, because that was the thing you brought your yeah. family on campaign. Yeah, the whole Boudicca battle, you know. Yeah, like, well, yeah, that you're you're a runaway slave army. They're they're gonna be they're gonna be at least watching or nearby, and well, you're part of the booty if you if your guy if your men lose. Yeah, right. So now, question: mm-hmm. This movie is very famous for one scene in particular. Uh, obviously i think you know what scene i'm alluding to i am spartacus in my own yes in my own research i had found that nobody really knows what happened to him during the battle and a lot of people allude that he was killed in the battle itself Mm -hmm. so he he died fighting to get to spartacus uh, to crassus it's thought so nobody knows what happened to him but yes they did crucify six thousand people (laughs) now was this question asked and was it perpetuated by the survivors to keep them guessing or was it just a creation of long from a Roman writer two thousand years ago, or uh, since? It, all knows. of the Roman sources say he died in battle. All of them. That really? is, I am Spartacus is a work of the book that this huh. is based off of. Everybody says he died in battle. Some say he just died in battle. He was wounded in the leg and was eventually killed. Some say he died trying to get to Crassus to kill Crassus um, to try to you know cut the head off the snake. But probably Crassus would do the same thing too. Um, but all of them say he died in battle. So that hmm. that is a totally made up Hollywood thing. And that's the famous part of this movie. But it's 
unfortunately made up. Well, here's the thing. I'm sad to hear that, but it is a great scene. <laughs> it, it's a great scene. No, no, you it know, absolutely is. Yeah, but it is, however, fiction. It, oh yeah, you know, it does yeah. capture the the essence of the revolt in a way, or if it was an organized. Yeah, I whatever, I almost you know? wish that he they had shown Kurt Douglas like dead and um. Oh God! The Sicilian slave who's twenty six. They say he's twenty six. He's like forty five. Um, <laughs> oh God! What's his name? He Tony starts, Curtis starts with an A. Uh, the guy's the character. But yeah, I wish he had set up. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. I, I wish like Kirk Douglas was dead by then. Like and you had just showed him dead on the field. But they have to have the whole thing of like this is your son and oh he's free now and we we saved him to piss off Crassus. Like I I think that whole. 30 minutes of the movie after the battle is like unnecessary but i agree i mean i think they just wanted to tie up some loose ends and get to show him actually being crucified i was surprised that there was all that after the fact but the other thing is that remember so much has been added to this movie yes you know we don't know what i mean you probably look for it but this is why it really pisses me off when this happens there really should be a warning or letting the audience know that, listen, this is a remastered film. This is not what originally was, was aired when it came out because I, I think I'm true in the statement. There's a lot of people out there that want to see the original in its original form, like star Wars. Are, yeah. I was good. Are you talking about the star Wars films, Brian? <laughs> yeah. Well, you have it, to get like the bootleg Blu-ray version that George Lucas probably had the guy assassinated who made them. Yeah. Cause they put like three together. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I know there's one for each movie. So I forget it was either you I talked to this about or somebody else, but uh, our, they, our future friend has a copy of them. And I think they got them off of like a VHS strip when they aired on TV. I don't know. <laughs> he has trans. Some, I, yeah. I he, know has he has them. copies. Yeah, mm-hmm. he does. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're very cool. If you get to, if you get a chance. How, how are the twins? No. <laughs> on today's episode of really bad segway. But, um, that's interesting. But yeah, no, it just, it makes me annoyed because I, you know, I really want to see what people saw when it came out and why they were infatuated by it. You know, not this enhanced crap after the fact. It's not wrong. I mean, I still want to watch the director's cut. Don't get me wrong. But I want to see what this film Sometimes you want to see the theatrical one. Opinion. Yeah, like sometimes it, it's cut yeah. down for a reason. Just the first time. You know, I, I really yeah. want to... Yeah, that's very true. It is cut down. Well, <laughs> there's a scene... So... Kubrick was very famous for this. There was a scene that was cut out of the end of The Shining that was burned that only people that saw The Shining the first week of have ever seen. And it was at the end of the movie, basically the um, after the burning scene, they go to a hospital and the wife is in a, a bed and Danny's in the hallway and Danny looks up and it's the hotel owner and he's there and he basically goes in and tells him that you know everything you saw didn't happen. And it changes the whole movie. It basically says that she's insane and blames it on her. But they didn't like that. We didn't like that. And they cut it out. And literally, dude, they fucking, within a week, all of prints across the country, he bought and he replaced them with his film. Hmm. So a only real the, clue ended there, huh? <laughs> only the, uh, I know, right? Only the production stills from that scene exist and um, the script. So you can read it and you can see what it was framed as. But yeah. So it just is interesting how things are changed over time <laughs> yeah yeah like even even paths of glory it's not paths of glory even um his first film uh, fear and desire he wanted that to be burned 
He tried to get rid of it. <laughs> and there was a copy that was found in the National Archives 10 years ago and it was restored. There used to be an old VHS rip from like the 50s um, that was the only like low 1080p, like 10, 10p quality, like worse than 240. <laughs> really bad. But, and apparently too, Kubrick, before he died, because he kept all of his materials that he shot for things at his house, loaded up. He had his um, Valeri, whatever, his very famous uh, assistant, help him load up a box truck full of his films and they brought them to an incinerator and burned them all. So <laughs> Thanks, there's <bud>. tons. <laughs> he was such a perfectionist to a point where it hindered his creative ability, you know? Hmm. But um, just just to, you know, get off my, soap, my soapbox. It's just annoying when they don't advertise that the version of the movie you're watching is not the original theatrical. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fine, but just tell me because I I just want to know that. So then finding my own research is like, oh, she watched a three-hour long movie? Yeah. We fuck you didn't have to. It's like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) Yeah. And Um, while we're on it, so one of the scenes was added, and I think that we've now talked this movie to death, is the snails and oyster scene. And that well, we scene, didn't talk about crasses in general, but well, yeah, but like that scene apparently was added um, by Kubrick himself to kind of show, you know, kind of nod at the times where you know relationships with men and women, young and old, and whatever, especially for higher society members, was not so uncommon because that was a thing that was carried over from the Greeks. So I guess you, about, you, you could be. Basically, you could be. There was a period where a young man could be experimental, to use the modern word, with men and women, um, and could take male lovers. You were eventually expected to get over it. I'll use that term, and go on to find a wife and have children. Um, this was with the Emperor Hadrian had a young lover, and there's a bunch of. Uh, it was kind of scandalous because. You know, he was the emperor. How could you be still be doing this? Um, and then the his young emperor. Um, oh God, the name is escaping me. It's really annoying. Afra. Oh fuck. I'll I'll, I'll remember it. But his young lover, they believe, committed suicide because he was afraid. The thought is that he was going to be with Hadrian forever. He would never tire of him. And he actually had him deified in his cult. Uh, competed with Christianity for quite some time in Egypt. Um, I will have to remember the name, but. Um, you you could basically have male lovers. It was accepted, and the dark part of that, if you were a male attractive male slave who had a male owner, um, you could basically not say no. Um, and Rome is big on you are the dominant partner, so you know you were not the bottom. Basically, if, as long as you weren't the bottom, it was kind of okay as well. That's also a caveat to that. Um, so take with that as you will, but that was kind of the, the times. And that obviously changed with the Christianization of the empire and change of morals and values and stuff like that. Huh. That's very interesting. Uh, so yeah. in a, to use another modern term, an American term, it's kind of like it was viewed like a rumspringa kind of thing. Yeah. Like, as long you as know, you weren't hey, the bottom, go, I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you weren't yeah. the bottom, you're okay. <laughs> Again, if you're uh, like, like as uh, the guy who runs away from crisis, you know, he knows what's going to happen and you can't say yeah. no. So, well, there was that thing that like Romans, not Rome, sorry, Spartans used to like fuck each other or something. Like, yeah. That comes up in a bunch of, uh, yeah, that comes up in a bunch of, uh, Greek, uh, armies. I think 
Corinth I might have something like that. I, I again I can't comment on that. I don't know enough about it. Um but yes, that apparently like Spartan woman would have to wear like men's clothes on the day of the wedding so they would actually get aroused. I, I, that's I've read that before, but neither here nor there. Hmm. <laughs> Interesting. Well, you know, just, Antoninus uh, is the kid I was thinking of. Antoninus, the cult of Antoninus. Oh, okay. um, but look it up. The Hadrian's lover Antoninus. But Interesting. Um, it's yeah. you know, it just goes to show though that how different of a culture it was. Yeah. It's you know, it was removed from the original film in sixty seven. Um, when they did a reshowing, which is, you know, understand. Also, if you think about the late 60s compared to the early 60s, you know, you're having all these Stonewall, um, what am I trying to say? You have like all the riots for gay rights and everything. So, yeah, take that out. Snip. Yep. There <laughs> it, it goes. <laughs> it, it, it's funny how, you know, the times influence certain things. Yeah. Um, but, um, we have to talk about Crassus, who I like. I don't know who the costume designer was who gave him like those like boots they're fucking wearing. Holy <laughs> shit! I I just every time I saw it was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> like, what are those? What are those? Like, I just yeah. Who made that decision? <laughs> just oh, <laughs> what yeah, a choice. You know. Um, but Crassus actually he was. Yeah, they talk about like first general and rich and emperor, like the richest uh, man it, of Rome. Yeah, he was the richest man of Rome. That's true because he got rich on property speculation. Um, he briefly fought with um, one of the generals in the Sulla in the, one of the first Roman civil wars uh, against Marius, and Sulla eventually won that. But he was so he had some military experience, but he basically got rich off property speculation and buying the property of people who were caught up in the. Uh, prescriptions of the fallout from that civil war where their property was confiscated and sold by the state. Um, and he also got rich because he had the best fire brigade in Rome because he had so many <laughs> slaves. And That's he a would, classic thing. Yeah. He would not, but he wouldn't put your house out unless he you bought, he you sold him the property, basically. <laughs> so you became his tenant. So if you wanted to save your stuff and anyone who was inside... You had to pay. You had to sell your house and property to Crassus, and then he would put it out. <laughs> like, because he had so many slaves that could form these giant bucket brigades. So that's how he got. That's how he got rich. He bought up so much property around Rome. That's fucking hysterical. That's, I don't have that anymore. <laughs> but well, it's just a quick side note. I went down a rabbit hole a few months ago um, for firefighters and stuff because I found out about something called insurance plaques. You ever heard of that before? Mm, I have not. Back in the day, basically, you know, you would have a building and the building would pay insurance to somebody. And you would put a plaque on the building for who the insurance company was. And I'm talking about like, you know, medieval times. And what would happen was, is that if there was a fire, then the insurance company that had its own like fire crew would be responsible for putting that out. So only the insurance companies fire crews would put out their own fires for their insurance, you know, for their buildings. So long story short, if a fire crew showed up and the building was on fire and it didn't belong to their conglomerate, they would let it burn. They would just put the water <laughs> on the buildings that they owned. And this culminated in the very bad London fire. I think it's 1666. Yes. That, all right. that, you're actually that, correct about that. I actually know that's, that's when that, that fire was. Yeah. Yeah. It fucking burned out half the city. Well, there was a law that was made after that because basically these fire crews were only going to their, you know, their sites and trying to save them. 
So they created this law that actually was in effect in America at the time of the colonies and still is in effect. The first three crews <laughs> that arrived would get paid. And the first crew to arrive would get paid the most. The second crew to arrive would get paid half of that. And the third crew to arrive would get paid the least. That's why firefighters rush to fires. Because originally there was an incentive <laughs> to get paid. So that's that's why we have Maybe a, a humanitarianness to it nowadays. It's all a business, baby. Start somewhere. <laughs> but originally it was an insurance company thing. Where oh, it's it like, like oh, uh, it's the Nick where they tried to like steal the patient. <laughs> Guys cut the oh. baseball bat. <laughs> Keep them stealing uh, the patient out of the ambulance. <laughs> the Knickerbocker. Yeah. Don't you fucking come to him. Yeah, literally. You know, it's like, this is my rich guy. But it's. No, it's it's crazy, but yeah, that's that's funny. He fucking made all his money off yeah. slave fire brigades. Slave fire brigades. He and Crassus, um, he raised the legion that eventually the armies that would eventually destroy Spartacus. He raised them by his own, and that's where um, very famous for an act in decimation. Um, oh, they, I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have it in the movie, but they fought Spartacus at one point as they broke out from Odysseum, and one of the, I think one of the cohorts or one of them ran away. Um, dropped their weapons and ran, and Crassus brought back Decimation, which is basically the that unit that ran away. It's not like the entire army, but it was, I think, a cohort or a, a, a smaller unit than a legion, I believe. Um, you basically draw lots, and the guy who gets the tenth short stick basically gets beaten to death by the other nine guys. So, <laughs> and that that is to inspire fear. And let's just say after that, they did beat Spartacus. So. That comes up very, very little, uh, very few times in Roman history, uh, but this is the famous, uh, the famous uh, time of where you hear about it. Interesting, because that did come up in my research. The whole like decimation. Yeah, they, they decimated one, called. Of the, one of the cohorts. And but the way I was reading it, it was that he did it to his whole army, and it's like I was like ten percent. That's I, that's yeah, like fucking. It's, it's a, a lot. lot. I I think it. I think it was a legion. I I sure about that. I I. No, I'm not 100% sure. I get no, I'd be more than that. Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? Again, I don't have my fucking, I don't have the fucking source in front of me. So like, I don't have a perfect memory. But yeah, he did do that. That happened. It's the short end of the story. But, that's a that's a fucking brutal practice. Yeah. I hadn't heard of And, and what I read, they like the ancient Roman. I'm like, it's probably 100 years old. But. Yeah, we're, we're talking so, like hoplite era. But what, what, Oh, wow. What were the other one, times that occurred, just out of curiosity? Ugh, I, I don't. I got, I, just honestly, randomly, I got you. It's just randomly, yeah. It depends on how stern of a commander you would have. Because Crassus was a very stern disciplinarian. Um, it's very few and far between. Hmm. And did Crassus really use this whole event to engineer his own kind of? <sighs> kind of? Um, this is where the triumvirate comes out of, um, where this alliance between Pompey and Caesar, um, alliance, quote unquote, because Pompey and Caesar weren't the biggest of fans. Pompey, it's also, it's mentioned in his legions, Pompey came from Spain. He was defeating a rebel general. Pompey would eventually be the guy who would bring most of the East, like the old, um, Seleucid kingdom of like Syria, Anatolia, uh, the Levant, uh, under Rome's control. He was called Pompey Magnus for it, which was a bit of a tongue-in-cheek start out as a tongue-in-cheek, um, Pompey, you know, Pompey the Great, tongue-in-cheek mm-hmm. reference. Um, but obviously, then became formal. Um, but they kind of Crassus wanted to propel himself on the Cursus Honor and win military honors and stuff like that. And he used the Third Servile War to kind of launch himself to the consulship. 
um, which was part of the Cursus Honorum, the part of honorable honorable course where you worked your way through Roman politics and eventually the consulship. There was two consuls elected every year in the Roman Republic, um, and they would kind of lead the armies and run, be, be basically the executive head of Rome. Um, so him and Pompey basically refused to stand down their legions um, until they were, you know, correctly elected consuls for that year. Um, hmm. And Pompey, I think Crassus will be elected again a few times. But this is where you know, the third triumvirate is, is uh, Julius Caesar kind of gets in with Crassus and Pompey and they kind of interchange the consulship between each other um, and sort of back each other up. Crassus is the money um, and Pompey and Caesar, Pompey's kind of the crowd. Uh, sorry, the po- Pompey is the army and Caesar is kind of the popular crowd pleaser until he goes on into Gaul for various reasons, kind of avoid um, prosecution from other Romans, but that's the whole thing about the Civil War that we're getting into. Um, but Crassus would go on to become the governor of Syria and fight a war against Parthia, and he was uh, killed by the Parthians after this, uh, the Battle of Karahi, which I probably mispronounced, but basically he marched, uh, I think, a couple legions into Syria, uh, against the Parthians, who were the successors for the Alexand- the Alexandria kingdom, successor kingdom, um, that would come out of Iran. Um, and they are basically horse archer army, uh, to put it bluntly. They're a, a cavalry-based horse archers, and they basically shot the shit out of Crassus's legions until he couldn't escape, and then they just kind of rode them down. Uh, and it's... Hmm. Crassus apparently was decapitated and then had his head preserved, or there's different stories that he also had like molten uh, gold pulled poured down his throat. <laughs> was killed like, like that. Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, it was basically that. Only worth you know, He didn't meet a good end. <laughs> the end of the. This is the short end of the story there. Well, if the movie is, or yeah, the movie is right for his character, then maybe it's a yeah. Just he, he was, you know, he was a miser in real life, a stern disciplinarian miser, who wanted to catapult himself to to glory and and fame, and you know, used to use the servile war to do that, um, along with Pompey, and eventually Caesar to get going with Caesar. He kind of partnered up with Caesar, but didn't meet a good end. Not not exactly the best guy. <laughs> Just like other Mediterranean warlords, you know, he met his end like Gaddafi. <laughs> he, met, he met a violent end. <laughs> other foreign shores. But, um, yeah, decimation. That was uh, something I wanted to bring up. Um, I don't think there's an IMFTV, but I'll take a look quick. And I, I would be surprised. Sure. I can you tell you the, the, the PLMs look a little wonky, but it's all like... Right. Yeah, it's that Hollywood... Uh, cheap uh get as many extras as you can make them cheap kind of uniforms yeah right oh well surprisingly but not surprisingly spartacus is not on imftv so you know i had to confirm that for the listeners i i definitely saw a roman hand cannon (laughs) (laughs) um but uh mark ii what do you call it Um, mark look yeah the mark three is a later war variant oh that didn't come out until I think they use that at um, Madrasa, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Anyway, uh, well, I think we've killed this movie in every way, shape, or form. I can't think of anything else to talk about. Um, Can you? Uh, No, I'm sure I've definitely left stuff out. But, you know, go do your own research on the Third Star War and Spartacus Revolt. His 
you know, his uh, impact on the impact on society today. And, you know, if you, you know, get out there. This movie's well, good. I, I enjoy this movie. Yeah. So final thoughts, Sean. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Bring it, bring it back now, y'all. Bring it back now. You want to go first? You go first. <sighs> um, this, it can feel a bit slow at times, in my opinion. Um, like I compared it to Gone with the Wind. If you've seen Gone with the Wind, um, that's kind of the pace and style of this movie. Um, it can seem a bit dated, but it is, I think, worth worth the time. Um, the soundtrack is awesome. Like it's that epic. Uh, you know, we keep using the word epic, but it's that that kind of grandiose style um, that kind of sticks with you. Um, and it, yeah, we'll say it roughly follows uh, <laughs> what we believe the the Surfers, the third survival war was about. Why not? He wanted to liberate all the slaves. Let's just let's just leave it at that. Um, go go ahead, go. Ahead. It's worth a watch. It's worth a watch. It's one of the great '60s epics. Um, and I will give it a six out of ten. Decent. Yeah, you know it's it's a very interesting movie for a lot of reasons. You know, it's um it's definitely one to watch. It it's one of the better epics ever made. It's nice that it's not a religious epic. Not that that really matters, but you know, it's it's nice that we have ancient stories that aren't about Christianity. Um, yeah. You know, it's again, it's very much a product of its era, but it's good. It's worth watching. It builds up to a battle. That's fucking really cool. And um, no, I, I really happen to agree. There's, there's not much more I could add, um, but I would give this a seven out of 10 at the end of the day. You know, it's definitely solid, totally worth a watch. So putting this into the calculator that we'll see if Spartacus would ever been able to defeat Crassus, we get a score of 6.5, which is decent, you know, yeah, for a 60 year old film, 63 year old film at this point, you know, it's definitely really cool. Yeah. Um, it's just very interesting that, you know, this, the history behind this is interesting and how it's all political civil unrest you know, in a way and how pe- these people are trying over the course of two years to really stifle it and get rid of it. Um, and at the same time, it's funny to look at the reason this movie was created and the fight during production to get it made. Yeah. The, the history behind the movie the, that you've said is, uh, that you said is great. Well, it's, it's almost as interesting as the real story. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you have all this like <laughs> Crassus is paying off this guy for that. And it's like, well, this thespian is trying to see if he can have a longer pause to fuck over that guy. And it's, and it's like, <laughs> it's all mind games at the end of the day. And it's just, it's just very interesting. Um, the other thing that I took away from this in my research was that Kubrick was a man that, well, I'll say it like this. As a somebody who's in the film industry or whatever, in a way, it's at the beginning of your career and the ending of your career, you have the same thing. You have financial, or not financial, but you have creative freedom. Do the fuck you want. If you're on top or you're at the bottom, only when you start to climb and you're on the ladder at some certain points are you, you know, restricted due to multitude of reasons. Um, so Kubrick, in this film, got to the point where he realized he could make something huge, but he 
he's going to have a lot of pushback from people that were quote unquote in control, you know, studios or unions, whatever. And after this film, he really moves into his own style. This is a Kubrick film, but it's not a Kubrick film, but this is the one that cements the next, what is it? 12 or 11, you know, he goes from making this to making Dr. Strangelove. And that's the real, I mean, we have paths of glory. Don't get me wrong, but that's the real beginning of the, the idea yeah, of yeah. what Kubrick His is style. the myth. Yeah. You know, this is everything he learned up to this point. He then fucking jumped off a, a you know, jumping board and was able to make the art he was able to make. But this is a very important crossroads and not just for Kubrick, but for Hollywood as well, because 1960 was a very interesting time. There was the last time I had a really big strike, like we're having now in Hollywood. Oh yeah, all these things I were forgot, happening. Was, yeah, it was, I forgot that was in the sixties. Yeah, it was very. You know, the Hayes Code was coming to an end. There was, there was a lot that was going McCarthyism on. McCarthyism was coming to an end. Just, yeah, well, there's. Have you ever seen The Aviator? Howard Hughes. You know, he was he was fighting Hollywood with how much fucking big braziers you could. You know, everybody was pushing the system, and this film was just, you know, part of that in a way. And it's got a lot of elements of old Hollywood and a lot of elements of new Hollywood. And the new Hollywood at this time was like the, um, the films coming out of Europe that were all like, what's the term? Not real, but there's a, like the art house films are coming out of Europe that were really influencing people. And, you know, Kubrick knew the idea that he needed full control if he wanted what he wanted to get. And he moved in that direction and look what we have. So it's a very important movie, not just for him, but for cinema as well. And for that reason alone, it's just worth watching. So yeah, go check it out. Check it out. You know, fucking cool. Let's check it out. uh, Yeah. Check it out. You know, fucking sweet berry wine, (laughs) but hopefully you get that quote. Uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Well, for the audience, there's no way you would not get that. (laughs) I'm going to, we're going to put that on our gravestone. But anyway, um, thank you for your time. Definitely check it out, and we'll see you guys next week. I am not Spartacus. Sean Spartacus. Kill him. I am Spartacus. (laughs) He also fucking, you know, killed all the whatever we blamed him for earlier, so thanks, Sean. Oh, the uh, the Light Brigade? uh, Yes, that's that's the the real reason that you were Spartacus. (laughs) Spartacus lost the Light Brigade, and then they put him into a gladiatorial school, and then... (laughs) what happens you know? <laughs> and this is what I, this is what you your get. name and his name share the same vil- syllable that apparently the phoenicians came up with so you know it's <laughs> fucking full circle so cool yeah see you next week thanks for joining us if you enjoyed this episode make sure to leave a rating otherwise mel gibson won't stop screaming if you like this content make sure to check out our facebook youtube and instagram pages If you want to directly support our work, make sure to check out our Patreon. All these links are in the description below. Until the next time, Scuttlebutt out.